0: Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. I hope you're ready. If you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 through 15 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith just as you were taught, abounding in Thanksgiving. giving. See it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirit of the world, And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. having, Having been buried with him in baptism He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you because only you could have brought us here to this moment in time, Father. We're so blessed to be able to hear your word, Father, to be able to hear what it is you have for us, Lord. Father, we pray that in this time you continue to work in us. Working in our hearts and in our minds to be able to understand and be able to live and be affected by these words that you have delivered to us, Lord. Father, in this time, I pray that whatever words I speak may not be mine, but yours, Lord, and that we be blessed by them because it's coming from you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question. If I would ever come up to you and just hand you $100, right? But I will hand you $100 in Monopoly money, right? I'll go home, grab a Monopoly $100 bills, and I give it to you. Would you be uh, taken by and just say, okay, and you say, well, this is not real. This is fake. Would you be able to tell that I'm giving you a fake $100 bill? Right? I would probably think and uh, I'm going to assume most of you would be like, uh, yeah, I don't even have to play Monopoly to know that what you're handing me, it's not a real $100 bill, right? $100 bill is usually green, at least make it green. You know, the $100 bill in Monopoly is orange and it's probably like this big, fits in my hand. Uh, so you can't tell just because you know and you've seen a $100 bill before that what I'm giving you, it's a fake $100 bill. You're probably even going to think I'm being crazy and probably even be disrespectful thinking that you're probably too dumb to realize that I'm giving you a fake $100 bill, right? And you'll be like, what's wrong with this guy? But what about if I give you a real regular, not a real, but a regular $100 bill that looks like a $100 bill, and I hand it to you? you? Will you be able to tell if it's fake or not? If I just hand you a green $100 bill that looks just like a regular $100 bill. Would you be able to tell? And probably most of you would probably be like, maybe. I don't know. It depends. Like most of us who can tell how to, you know, decipher whether it's real or not, would we'll probably be like, maybe I could probably figure it out, right? Uh, some of you may not be able to figure it out. Some of you may have no idea and be like, okay, this is a one hundred dollar bill. I'll take it and just put it in your pocket and you leave with it. You know, even those who who think they can or can be fooled, that's time sometimes by, you know, a really good looking one hundred dollars bill. And it's not always easy to tell when a one hundred dollar bill is fake, you know, unless you put it through some tests, right? We we know that there's a specific test, we put it through the light, see if there's a specific picture or not hiding in the background or it feels certain ways. So if you grab a marker and you test it, if the marker changes color, it's fake. Uh so there are ways that we can test this. Or unless we test it, sometimes we don't know it's fake. But sometimes it's even harder when, if I would give you a f- fake $5 bill, and you probably don't even test it. It's a fake $5 bill. I give you a $5, dollars you be like, it's $5. Who's going to fake a $5 bill? That's pointless. And what do you do? You don't even test it. You put it in your pocket. It's 5 bucks. Who's, who's making fake $5? That's such a waste of time, Right? you can make something fake and get caught and get arrested, it might as well be a good amount of money, not a $5 bill. So I give you $5, you'll be like, okay, put it in your pocket. You won't tell if it's fake or not. That's kind of like the same idea that we're going to look into. The same idea that, that uh, Paul here is speaking about. Uh, it's the same idea that comes to the things of God. There are certain things that are easy to spot that are false. When we hear things of God, when we hear things of the Bible, there's certain things that you're listening to and you say, well, yeah, that's not true. And even if you just walked in church and, and you're just a new convert or, or you've been here for many years and, and you know the Bible ins and outs. Or it doesn't matter. There's certain things that you can easily spot that is false, that is fake, that is not true. It doesn't come from God. But then there are other things that look like the real thing. And it can be very small things that can pass by as we would think, and we take it as it is, very easy. that sounds like it's in the Bible, right? Something very simple. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Some things are more complex that we listen to, that sound, and they look, and they kind of feel like it's the right thing, it's the true thing, it is in the Bible, but in reality it's not. And it's the same concept. We have to be able to tell whether it's true or not. Uh, for example, I don't know if you ever had a conversation uh, with a Catholic. I have many, uh, and I'm not pointing them out as specific, but just I've had more conversations with Catholics than any other uh, before. And many times, if you're not paying very, very close attention to what they're saying, and you're just kind of listening, it sounds like what they're saying is it's all good. It's all right. It, it makes sense. It's, it's good. That's what, what's the problem here, right? But not until you, you stop and you analyze what they're saying and you kind of put what they're saying, you know, to the light or against the Bible in this case, you know, compare it to the Bible, really. You don't start to see things breaking down until you test what they're saying. So if you're just taking it as it is and you're not really paying too much attention, what they say makes perfect sense. But when you test it, you see how it breaks down. And this is very dangerous I mean, imagine how many people are going to be fooled by what seems to be like the real thing, and it's not. I mean, imagine what happens, the fact that we lived all this life thinking something was true, and when we come to heaven, stand in front of God, and he's like, "Mm, yeah, I don't think so. We spend all our life living out something that's not true because we never tested it, we never saw what it was. We never learned the truth and we spend our whole life being fooled by it. And Paul is tackling here the same type of counterfeit Christianity. He says there's a problem here. There's something going on and I need to tackle the truth. I need to tell you guys what the truth is so you can make sure you know and not be fooled by what's false. If you remember what Paul uh, if you remember, Paul was reaching out to a group of Gentiles who have been recently converted. This is not necessarily a whole bunch of Jews that who, or, or people that have been following Christ for a long time. These are, these are people that are coming to Christ. These are a group of people that are just starting to learn. And they, they know a little bit. I'm not going to say they don't know nothing. They're brand new. They know a little bit. But they were in danger of being led astray due to false teachings from many different sides. There was all types of different things coming at them. So they were in danger of actually believing many of those things. And if they do, they're going to be straight away. And he cared enough to immediately go ahead and tackle that situation that those guys were in. He said, I need to do something. I need to tell these people the truth. And it wasn't easy for Paul. It was very difficult. If you read the verses uh, in the beginning of this chapter, it says that Paul had a great conflict for them. And this was a spiritual warfare that Paul was under. He was fighting this thing inside. He was being hurt. He was, seeing, he was being troubled by what was happening. He was seeing. He was hearing the things that were happening. And he was hurting him. Because these were people that he cared about that were getting lost. And to think that these were people that he had never even met before. I mean, you can just see that. These are people that have never met him before. He says that you, you hadn't even seen my face. These are people he cares so much about and he's never seen before. He cared enough to come and tell them the truth. So Paul continues to help them and guide them with the truth so they can be encouraged to face those moments when things are not sounding as they should. I mean, when, when you start to hear things, you know, it can get very complicated, right? It can get very difficult because now you're at that point where it's like, okay, you know, if, if we're talking about eternal life, let me tell you something. You better get this right. There's no room for mistakes here. So there is a little pressure of you saying, okay, do I believe this? Do I not? It's like, remember the story I said about my wife one time where she heard a really good song on the radio. She was like, I don't like it. Like, no, you're scared of not liking it. It's a good song. You're just scared because it's so good that you're not sure if you could like it or not because you're not 100% sure if it's good or not yet. So that happens. You can get stuck in that. So Paul starts here delivering a warning to them that I think we can all agree that is very re- relatable with us today. And he starts this warning in verse 8. And he said, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So because religion apart from Christ is dangerous, Paul is saying, pay attention. He's saying, pay attention, be careful, pay attention, don't be cheated by philosophies and traditions. He's saying, hey, don't be, don't be fooled by traditions of this world. And don't be fooled by ideas that come from people. And he's reaching out to them like if they were being led away, almost like if they were being robbed of something. So he's taking that approach and he's saying, hey, you're about to, your, your eternal life is about to be robbed from you. About to be taken from you, so be advised, be careful, pay attention. But to understand why Paul gave this warning, we have to understand a little bit more about what I mentioned last week, which was the Colossians heresy. Right? This is what many, uh, many, uh, many theologians and many scholars think was happening. Remember, there is no specific mentioning of what exactly was the real full-blown problem there. There's no mention of it here, but based on what it is, systems, uh, a mix of, with Greek philosophy, some local mystery religions, and, and some Jewish uh, ideas and stuff like that. It was kind of like a whole mix of these random spiritual things that they were being taught. This is This is what they call the philosophy, this is their, their you know, when the, the Bible says the philosophy, be careful with the philosophy, right? Pay attention to the philosophy, don't be fooled by the philosophy. That is what they're talking about, it, the ideas that they were bringing up, all that. And it's kind of very similar uh, to what we have in, in our day today. Uh, they replace God's authority, in his words, with authority in their own uh, understanding and their own intellect. So it's basically, it doesn't come from God, it comes from men, and it's based on the fact that what we think is what really is. Our ideas and our tradition is what sets things right. That's where the power is, that's where the authority is on the things that we do. It's like me saying, no, no, we got to do this because we've been doing this for many years, and if we stop, well, that's a sin. You know, we're going to go to hell if we don't do this anymore. You know, we've been doing it for, for 500 years. We're going to stop. That's not right. You know, we hear that a lot in the church, right? Oh, the church has been doing this for many thousands of years. So why stop doing it, right? Things like that. They also said that the teaching was according to the elemental spirits of the world. And this has two ideas. This can go either way. Uh, it could be teachings that they were coming uh, with spiritual type forces. This is like that where you hear about, you know, the energy, right here, energy. Oh, the energy in this room it feels so good. And there's an the energy in here that right it, it's that sense of, of maybe even even of spiritual beings. The spiritual beings are are, are pushing and, and and kind of guiding us to do certain things to principles that they're talking about. Basic principles like like if it was an ABCs of religion, right? If you do this, this is what you gotta do. One, two, three. If you do this, you're gonna be okay. If you do this, that's right. That's correct. But if you don't do this, it's wrong. You know, you keep the rules. You do the right thing. then you get closer to God. Because, so it could be either one of those ideas. But either way, behind every world religion, there's always some spiritual demon behind it. Right? Whether it's basic facts of A, B, C, you do this, this, and that, or it can be uh, demonic demons or whatever. Either way, if you're coming from either side. God's not there. Because if you're setting rules and regulations, and you're setting steps one, you must complete step one before you go to step two. And once you complete all steps, then you're saved. If it's, that's the idea, that's not of God. If it's not of God, then who else is from, right? So, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. They also teach something like if it was like, like are you going to, something bad's going to happen to you? If you do good, good things will happen. So, this was kind of almost the idea that they were pushing. This is something what they were speaking of. Uh, and, and Paul tackles directly what they're teaching. Uh, you can see some of it. Well, we already saw some of it last week where they talk about Gnosticism teaches that God could not ever come into direct contact with the material world. And then Paul shows them that, no, that's not true. God is Christ. He did so already. He's, he's in the physical world. Uh, narcissism teaches that God himself did not create the world. But he also worked through that. Uh, he He taught them, right? He, it, narcissism says that it's through spirits, right? His spirits and angels. That's how he... he uh, <coughs> He, he uses to create things you know he uses spirits to create the world or, or create whatever it is that we see or he uses angels so he he teaches them no that's not the creator is right we we kind of we're very familiar with that no we're very familiar with that idea right that he uses people to be come between us and him right but Paul you know already tells us that Christ is the only mediator you know, there's many other passages that shows what's happening in this time. But the problem, that, the problem with this is not that it's just false. I mean, that's just not the only problem. The problem was that it sounded so good and so smart and so intelligent that these people were falling for it and they were actually believing it. You can say, well, that's false. We, we know that's not, I'm not... No, it, it was false. Yes, you can be like, that's wrong. You're you're lying to me. But not only that, I'm actually falling for your lie. So it's, that's, that's a big problem. Because if somebody's lying to you, you could just ignore them and be like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy, he's a liar. But when you're starting to fall for the lie, then we got a big problem. And we have to be careful, we have to be very careful because there's one thing I've noticed. Is that philosophers don't really have much of an answer. They have ideas, but never answers to what everyday problem. Why do we react when we're hurt? They don't have answer for that. They just have ideas. And also, we have to be careful because these man-made religions and these ideas don't tackle the heart. They 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 tackle. The exterior, you can change somebody, and be like, you know, this idea is going to make you a better person. You, you, okay, you sure you, you might speak a certain way now because you, you listen to these ideas. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But the problem is still there. The problem is the heart, that's where the sin comes from. So, you can change my external appearance and make me uh, and teach me ideas that are going to make me dress better and act better but my heart is still rotten. My heart is still dead. You haven't tackled that yet. So that's the problem. These ideas don't tackle the heart. So be careful. Be careful because not everyone, theologians and scholars, who who are they and where they come from? And she made a very good observation about how anyone can just call themselves a scholar or a theologian right if you think you have a good idea or or in, intelligent idea you put yourself theologian or scholar and after you do it for certain times people will recognize you as a theologian or a scholar so anyone can be call themselves a theologian or scholar but just because you have an intellectual or whatever you're saying sounds smart and sounds intellectual doesn't mean that they're actually teaching truth. And they can call themselves that. All they want doesn't mean that they're truth. So we have to be careful who we listen to because just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good. All those ideas and teachings will only lead us to become dependent on those things and those ideas. Because if you... So what happens is we become dependent and we... We have to then all of a sudden depend, and our lives depend on on this religion, when it should be depending on Christ. So Paul gives us four reasons why we should depend on Christ and not on those things that are being thought that are wrong. The first one you can find in verses nine to ten is because we have been filled in Him. It says for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority and again the first thing we have to acknowledge is the fact that he's the paul is declaring jesus full deity again this is just i think it was friday thursday friday i was hearing about Somebody kept saying God, Jesus, no Bible never mentions that Jesus is God. So what's the point? You guys are making this up. This means that he is not a halfway God or a junior God. Jesus is God. We have to remember, we have to see it again how Paul is telling us he's not separated between a spiritual and material. He is spiritual and material. And that's Is why Paul needed to make it clear because this is very important. Because the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And because that fullness and because Christ is fully God, then those who believe in Him are complete in Him. Complete. That means perfectly, 100% complete in Him. As believers, we are united in Him. We don't have to look for priests. We don't have to look at rituals. We don't have to look at our deeds. We have Christ and His fullness and His promises. And like Paul is saying, this is a fact to be enjoyed, not a status of achievement. This is not something that you gain. This is something you enjoy because he's already given it to you. We are united in Christ. Then he says in verse eleven that in him also we have been circumcised. Says chapter two, verses 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. So we know that through tradition, uh, traditional law, uh, through Jewish traditions, it was circumcised at a certain age. uh, After the first set of Jews, they were circumcised as adults, which sounds very painful. Luckily, after that, they they decided to come up with a proper age, right? And there's a proper age uh, after the baby's born, that they're circumcised. Right? And the circumcision was a physical sign of who they were in God. That was their covenant. This is what's going to separate you from the rest of everyone here. You're going to be known, separated from them, because you're going to have a mark, and that is circumcision. And with time, we know because even now we can kind of still see a little bit of it, in different ways, but we know that after time, they thought they were better because of it. They were like, well, we are Jews, we are circumcised, and you are Gentile, we are better than you are, because you are not circumcised, and we are, and we are separated for God. Right? We see that a little bit, in maybe different versions of it, where we think we are better Christians, than everybody else. Right? Oh, I go to church. The Jews took pride in being circumcised, and, and because of that, they started to trust in that process. They, they put the trust in the fact that they were of God because they were circumcised. So they lost that spiritual part of this circumcision, what it meant. So because the physical circumcision took over the spiritual, and they started to depend on it. And they were teaching that. That's what they were teaching. They were teaching the people that, and there were some of that was being taught to these people that Paul was talking about. And even though Paul takes care of this in in Acts 15, but nevertheless this was always going to be an issue to some extent. It was never going to be completely gone. There's always going to be someone who's going to continue to push that idea. Especially you know because many of the people that Paul was teaching were, just, but you need to get circumcised because we are, so you need to be cool like us. So they were like, hmm, you know, I, I do want to be cool. They're they're not longer telling me, hey, you're not off me. Now they're telling me, yeah, come, but hey, get circumcised. So should I get circumcised or not? So it's easy to fall into the idea when you're trying to, to you know hey, I I really want this, right? I want to fit in. I want to be cool like the other guy. So it's so easy to fall into that peer pressure, right? So there must have been a group teaching that believing in Christ is not enough and you need to be circumcised to keep that law. And You can see this throughout history and many have died teaching against it. We have people teach the idea that, yes, Jesus died for your sin, but you still have to do certain things from getting into people's mind and and, and changing who they are. Unless you go to a specific person, unless you do certain things, you won't be saved. For some religions, even so-called Christians, you can see a version of this where they say, you know, you have to do enough good things To get that grace from God. Make sure you come to church all the time. Make sure you do all this all the time. Make sure you read the Bible all the time. Make sure you dress like this. Make sure you talk like this. Make sure you look like this. Make sure you you act this way. This, that. The more good things. Let's help people. Let's donate money. Let's do all that. And If you do enough, then God's going to love you. If you do enough works, God will love you. Other religions have it in the sense that They say, well, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. That means, yes, you're going to do bad things, but if you do three bad things, you need to do four good things. It's okay to do something bad, but let's just do one more extra one so you can be okay. Let's balance the scale out, right? And if you balance the scale enough where your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, okay, then you're saved. And so many come to fall to those teachings, and they spend their whole life, trying to meet those standards and let me tell you that it's hard because I've been there where I've I thought well you know and I'll talk to people and you know and and things will happen and and oh and God's gonna love me because I am and I've been there and it's hard to keep up with that it is hard to keep up with that Uh, so many fall because the moment you 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 fall you'll be like man this is hard I don't want to do this anymore because we can't keep up with that but here's what Paul is saying Don't depend on those things because you are circumcised from within. It says, hey, this is circumcision without hands. No one did it for you. It was spiritually done and only one can do this and it's Him. So now you're cut off from who you were and now you're a new creature. Now you're pure because that's what that meant. Purification. That's why some still don't do it for for religious reasons we do it just because it's healthier and and all that stuff. so it's for in Christ and not religions or tradition it's what gives you that freedom from your flesh. It means that Christ is the reason we no longer hold close to those things that we we hold close back when we were, you know, not in Christ, you know, those things that we hold so close to that wasn't good, the things that Christ didn't want, that God didn't want for us, we, we used to hold those things together because of that circumcision that was in, done spiritually, without hands, that's why we can let those things go. That's why we can let our old self go. Without Christ and without being in Christ, we are enslaved to sin. We, we're always going to be looking for that. That's, That's who we were. We we were sinful people who were constantly trying to satisfy our own needs and when Christ comes in us He changes who we are then we break from those chains. Those things that are tying us down to those sinful actions. We're broken from those chains. We're free people with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And, and just to make sure we're on the same page, baptism did not take the place of circumcision. I'm not saying because you're baptized. We're dependent on our baptism. If you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Baptism is just your outward expression of what happened inwards. That's all it is, right? Very important. I'm not trying to downplay baptism either, but baptism is a picture of what Christ did. He was buried and then rose again. That's what we do when we baptize. You go down and you go up, right? And we are also raised in Him. And because of Him, so we have been put to death you are been you old self has been put to death and now you're a new person and That's what happens internally when we're saved He rips out our heart which is the reason why we're dead to begin with right That's where our sin comes from our heart that's where it starts that's what's causing our death our sinful desires that comes from within he rips that out. Then he replaces it with a new one, making you a new creature. I mean, this doesn't mean that we're not going to sin no more. You're going to see later how Paul talks about that. This means that we're, we're sinned we're sin by God. We're sinned by him as pure and perfect. We're pure and perfect in His eyes because we, have. So we don't stop sinning. He just sees us as not sinners. Right? We continue to sin. We continue to do that all the time. That's why we continue to repent. We continue to seek Christ and we continue to seek His forgiveness. And we're not saying, hey, don't worry, just continue to do whatever you want. No, that's not the case. We, we must live out what's in us. But in his eyes, we are no longer sinful people. We're no longer sentenced to death. We're no longer old. We're near creature already. So basically, because of Christ, we are made pure spiritually, and we express it physically with baptism. So now he goes on to verse 13. I want to go to verse 13, which kind, kind of puts everything together. And I think it's just a great reason why we choose Christ over religion. Verse 13 says, And you who were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the God made that stood against us with his legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it on the cross. This is where everything kind of starts. This is where everything starts. This is where the gospel starts. This is where our life starts. Before we're given life, before we're circumcised spiritually, before we, we are saved, we are dead. Before we have life, we're dead. And I'm not talking about anything childbirth related where you're born from your, yeah, you know, you're in the womb, you don't have no life or whatever you, anyone wants to say this. No, no, this is not what I'm talking about. We are born into Adam's broken world. That's what we're born to. We're born as sinners. We're born with a natural desire to sin. That's why we don't teach kids how to lie. They just know how to lie, right? I, I didn't teach my kid how to lie. But he's very good at it. He's the best. To please us ourselves, and not what God wants. That's what we're going to naturally always want. It's whatever we want. Whatever I want to do, is what I, that natural desire is, I'm, is that I'm going to have. And it's never going to be, I want to do what God wants to do, right? He's never going to be like, yeah, yeah, well God, what, what do you, no. Know? Because naturally, by birth, by who we're born into, you, you see that selfishness you just grow up to. And unless you're changed by Christ, you continue that selfishness. And it's about what I want, how I feel, what I think. We're by nature rebellious against God. And because of this is why Paul says we are dead in our trespasses. And we are dead to our own works. It means nothing we do, nothing we are, nothing makes anything. Possible. We are dead in it. Our actions, our deeds is never going to be good enough, no matter how good we do. We were called to do that. But it's not because of that. And we're not just sick and we need a doctor. We are dead and we need a savior. And that's our state. That was our state before. We believe in Christ before Christ comes to us. That's the state that we were in. That's what Paul says, because of God himself, of what he did, he gave us life. Because of who Christ is, because of Christ did, we have life. There's nothing you can do. Only God can do this. There's no man, there's nothing in this world that can give you the life that he's talking about. And he made us alive, and not just alive, he made us alive together with him. Which means that we not only walk in his spirit. And he does this by forgiving all of our trespasses. Everything we did against him has been permanently forgiven. He's no longer holding it against you. Yeah, you may deserve it. You may deserve to pay for what you did. You don't deserve this forgiveness. You don't deserve this grace. But he gave it to you anyways. He also does this by canceling the record of our debt. And there's a record, can you, there's a record of everything that you've done against God and you're about to do against God. Before you even do it, it's already a list. It's already a document with every single little thing. All of us have one. And all of us, it's very long. And everything we've done, we need to pay for it. We need to pay him back. There's a penalty for everything that we've done and we're about to do. He gets sentenced to like, he's, he's like 45 years old, and he gets sentenced to like 300 years in prison. And you're like, we are like, with no bail, no parole, no early release. am like, that's, that's more than where he's going to live anyways. Uh, how long is he going to live that he needs 300 years in prison? Exactly. That's how bad it is. That's how bad we've sinned against God. We've seen so much that there's nothing that it's ever going to wipe out. There's no get out of jail free card. You're not going to be released because of COVID. That's us against God. That's how bad our rap sheet is. But he cancels that debt. And I like how Spurgeon puts it. Each of the Ten Commandments has as it were, united with the rest to draw up an indictment against us. The first commandment says, all ten together have laid the same charge against each one of us. That is the handwriting of the law condemning every man and woman born while he remains in the state of nature. We have broken all the commands against God. And we have to pay for that. There's a debt that needs to be paid. But he cancels that debt. And that's the state that we were in. Because when he forgives us, all that is wiped away. We don't need to pay those penalties for what we've done. This document, which once condemned us, has been taken away. And not only has it been taken away, he has nailed it to the cross. Not only did Jesus pay for what we've done against him, he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Nothing that's going against us can be wiped out. Nothing. There's going to be nothing to be accused of. None of us are going to have anything that Satan can come and say, well, he did this. No. When he tries, Christ is going to be like, sorry, I don't see that here. Everything has been wiped away. And there's no power or being in existence that has the weapon or any ammunition to use against those who he loves. There's going to be nothing. Anyone that's going to say, well, that Christian, he's all called Christian. Uh, Look, he, uh, yeah, no, it's not here. Sorry, it's all gone. We have victory in Christ and only in Christ and on anything we do, not on a person, not a priest that we go to once a a week to tell our sins. None of that. We don't find that in any of those people. We don't find it in creative philosophies and there's always going to be new ideas and there's always going to be updated of old ideas. There's always going to be something. But all we really need is to be united with the living Christ. That's all. It's that simple. Because salvation starts and ends with Christ. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.